welcome back to the Go Off Sis podcast. Today, we are talking about sisterhood, what it's taught us and what it's given us. As Black women, we know that we are blessed and we are a blessing to each other. And this season, as we talk about HBCUs and all that they've given us, one of those things is Greek life, fraternities and sororities. Black Greek letter organizations have a long history with HBCUs, so we wanted to take a look at them. We're going to talk about our experiences with them, our opinions on them, and whether or not we think we need them today. My name is Danielle Cadet. I am the managing editor of Refinery29 Unbothered, and I believe I am the sole member of a Black Greek letter organization. I am a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Pinkies up to all my sorors out there. Ski wee. I pledged Fall 07 at Northwestern University. Shout out to the Gamma Chi chapter. My sorority experience did a lot for me during my undergraduate experience and postgraduate experience. I will get into that a little bit later. Before we do that, let's get into our panel, our sisterhood here, and introduce ourselves. Again, if y'all don't know, you should, but Chelsea Sanders, reintroduce yourself to the people. Hey, everyone. I'm Chelsea Sanders. I am the VP of Communications at Refinery and let me say a, a disappointed member of a white sorority, <laughs> which we'll, we'll get into. Um, I'm not going to call them out, but they know who they are. So, uh, but we'll, we'll leave that there until we get into it, Danielle. <laughs> Keyword disappointed. Yes. <laughs> we will get into that. And we also have none other than our good sister, Kathleen Newman-Bermang. What up, sis? Hey, I'm so happy to be back. I am the senior writer at Refinery29 Canada, Keyword Canada. So I did not go to a university that had a sorority, which, you know, they exist in Canada, but not a lot. So yeah, I'm repping the people that did not join a sorority, black or disappointed white one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And the like non-Americans, like who, uh, anybody listening who is not American. Amen. Amen. <laughs> we're, we're, we global out here, y'all. And, yes. and no matter, so what I'm going to say is, even though we all come from different walks of life as far as our Greek life sorority experience, I am going to create our own sorority and say that we are members of UFIU. We ain't bothered. Okay. Hey. UFIU, all right, everybody. We ain't bothered. Bother. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to the first UFIU chapter meeting. <laughs> and I will tell you guys that my actual line name is publicly envied, spelled with it, AKA, P U B L A K A L Y, envied. But I was the dean of the line after me, and my dean name was Big Sister Ask Them Hoes About Me. Okay, that's my energy. <laughs> and I'm unapologetic about it. Ask. And if y'all want to know about me, ask them hoes about me. Okay. <laughs> and, I, and, as the, and as the self-proclaimed dean of UFIU, I am going to name my sisters, okay? And I think, I think it is only appropriate, Kathleen, to name you prolific. <laughs> you are truly a literal genius when it comes to the use of your words And you are extremely dynamic when it comes to how you 
communicate the experience, your experience as a Black woman, our experience as a Black community. And it is, it is prolific. Thank you. I love that. Chelsea, Pastor <laughs> Sanders. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> you, you, as you say, real G's move in silence like lasagna. And if you don't know, Chelsea's IG name is at definitely not Chelsea. Well, we, we don't have to tell the people that. They, they can find it on oh, the road. Oh, they're going to find you. Oh, they're going to. And you see, you, see what I'm see, you see what I'm saying, sisters, is she's always trying to stay under the radar. She's a silent killer. She is behind the scenes killing it. And so her line name is Incognito. <laughs> Honestly, I'm going to throw that on a shirt because that's merch. (laughs) I don't play around when it comes to naming my sisters. So here we are. Welcome to your first chapter meeting of UFIU. We ain't bothered. This is Big Sister Ask Them Hoes About Me. And we've got Big Sister Incognito and Big Sister Prolific. So there is so much to discuss about sororities in general. And, And the first one is that everybody has a different experience, right? Like, for a lot of people, sororities are not for them. It's I'm not trying to be part of nothing. I'm not trying to have nobody tell me what to do. I'm not trying to pledge. Nothing. Like, I'm not interested. And I, and I get that. I understand that. I know that, that, you know, that's not everybody's experience. And then for other people, you know, it could be like, this is something I really want to do. As soon as I got on campus, I knew what I wanted to do. I grew up. My mama was an AKA, a Delta, whatever. And I knew that I, this was my path. And Chelsea, let's start with you because I want you to share with the people your disappointed membership in a non-Black sorority. Uh, Okay, so I went to Yale, which is... White. Yes, which is so far beyond what I... You can't even understand, but still some of the dumbest people I've ever met were at that school. So on record, but I like Ja Rule with Fire Festival was tricked, bamboozled, <laughs> scammed, blown away, truly led astray, hustled into joining the whitest sorority on campus because, they, and they got me. I'm not even going to lie. The white girls got me. Tell, they us, put, tell us how it happens, they, sis. You know, okay, so here's what they did. They Like you are out of say, they put the good beats in the front and they said, hey, sis, you got about three or four black girls who look exactly like you. We're going to put them out on rush week. They're going to talk to you. They're going to tell you all the great things that they did and it'll be great and you'll join. And so I was like, okay, I have time between English and history, so I could probably knock this out in half an hour. Great. Done. (laughs) And I joined and it was nothing of the sort. Okay. It was nothing of the sort, but really I joined because the rent was half my rent that I was living in junior year. And so senior year, I can move into the house and live for so much less, but the cost of living with those white women was, was astronomical. I'm not, it was very high. So that's why I say I I am a continual uh, disappointed member of the sorority because to be honest, I don't even know how to deactivate. I hope they don't even have my address. The cost. I love how you say the cost. You saved Mm -hmm. money, but you paid the price of living with those white women. And, and you know, I, but I, you know, white sororities are different because it's not like a lifetime commitment the same way it is mm-hmm. with black sororities. And I remember being in college, and for those who don't know, like I said, I went to Northwestern. So I also went to a very white school. But, you know, I remember all the, all the white guys and girls being very confused by the fact that we were like, no, we're signing up to do this forever. Like, I'm going to be an AK 
you know, when I'm old and I'm going to be out here, you know, being the, like, as we call them, seasoned saras at the chapter meeting, you know, with my, with my white tights on and my, and my kitten heels, you know, like people didn't really understand that it was a lifetime commitment. So luckily for you, you don't have to carry that with you post-graduation. At all. And to be honest, it wasn't something that for me in college or even now I'm that interested in. But for me, it just was something to do. And I will say my best friend, who is still my best friend to this day, was in that sorority with me. And boy, we we had Stockholm Syndrome for a while, but we got through it. But it it was what it was. And we left it where it was. (laughs) Shed shed that weight, sis. Shed that weight. Now, you know, I'm going to say that my, my experience is very different. And I, and I completely understand. Like, I have very good friends that are like, that's not for me. I'm not a joiner. Ain't nobody finna tell me where to go, what to be, do, where to be on time. That's not for everyone. And I, and I get that. You know, I always say a little bit, like, those of us who joined organizations, we're all a little crazy. Like, my whole line is a little crazy. We are also simultaneously some of the most excellent women I've ever met. Okay. Mm. I'm on a line of five people. Yes. I, it's a small line. Again, I went to a white school. I'm on a line of five people and there are 12 degrees between the five of us. Okay. We are educated. We have excelled in our field. I stepping on campus. I saw the members of my chapter. And I, they were the bad bitches. Like they mm. own the yard. They were doing everything. They were beautiful. They were well-dressed. They were educated. They were involved. You know, they were in the leadership roles. You wanted to be in that group of people. And so I kind of idolized a lot of my big sisters. And I was like, oh my God, I just think they're dope. They're smart. They're everything. We are incredibly close to this day. We've been in the game almost 13 years and we, we talk to each other really regularly. We check in with each other. You know, there's something about going through that really hard time in life and knowing each other in a way that nobody else knows you. To this day, mm. you know, when we're going through a hard time, we, it's, it's, it's almost like a, a buzzword. Like if we say follow seven to each other, it indicates like, okay, we need to rally around this person. We need to make sure, you know, has, has our ace eaten, you know, has mm-hmm. our deuce, you know, gotten some sleep. So, you know, I'm very close to all of my line sisters. I check in regularly and, and there's something about that support that has just stuck with me. You know, yeah. there's something about like learning that being on time is not, you might as well be late if you're on time. You know, learning that being five minutes early is actually being on time. Having a sense of urgency, you know, having that motivation and that ambition. Those are things that I've, I've carried through, through the rest of my life. Fun fact, I stole a car. I'm glad we have our fictional pledge names because you cannot be out here claiming crimes with your government name. Okay. So you go ahead. That's why I told y'all, I told y'all to ask them hoes about me. Okay. No, no BS y'all. I did. I accidentally stole a car when I was online. I'm not, I, so I'm not even gonna lie. I'm not even gonna say I'm about that life like that. I ain't out here stealing nobody car, but I was running some errands. And I accidentally got into the wrong vehicle. I promise y'all the key, I had my key and it unlocked another car door. The car was identical to mine, same make, same model, same everything. I unlocked the door. I got in the car. I drove home. (laughs) All the way home. You got all the way home? From Target. (laughs) 
Shout out to Target. <laughs> Shameless plug. I drove home from Target and I looked in the back seat and I realized I was in the wrong car. And that's all I have to say about that. Again, like I said, I'm not going to tell y'all all my business. I returned the car. I drove back to Target. I ran like hell and I got back in my car. But and I've no one learned, ran after you. And no You're one saying, ran after me. And I've lived okay. to tell the story. Okay. Kathleen, aka Prolific. <laughs> yeah, yes. I know that you have, like you said, you have a very different experience, not only just being from Canada and, you know, what was accessible as far as the Greek life experience, but, you know, you've told us a little bit about transitioning from a very white childhood into, you know, really finding your identity as a Black woman in college. Talk to us a little bit about that, because you really did develop a sisterhood in college, whether it was a, through a sorority or not. Yeah. I mean, everything you just said, Danielle, I feel like I had that, but without the sorority. And I think it was because, you know, I remember seeing one of my best friends, Tashana, she became my roommate. I remember seeing her like across the quad, as we called it, for Frosh Week. And we like locked eyes (laughs) because we were like two of the only Black girls. And I went to, I went to Ryerson University in Toronto it is one of the more diverse universities in the country. It is still predominantly white. Our program, journalism, was predominantly white. Tashana also grew up in a very white suburb. And we just, like, clung to each other. She looked like a mirage. Like, I remember seeing her and being like, that's my bitch. And, like, she was for the next four years. And then we, we created our own sisterhood with other Black women, with other women of color, in that school and we bonded over, which I think is a big thing about black sisterhood is that we bonded over trauma. Mm. We bonded over the pain Mm. that we took from our childhoods. Mm. We also bonded over the bullshit we were facing in classes Mm -hmm. with racist professors, with that entire system. And anyone who's been to J school knows that there's a lot of things that like you can bond over as a black person that, um, yes, sends you into an industry that is not set up for you to succeed. And so that, yeah, I don't know who I would be without those people, without that experience. And Mm. I also think that there was so much unlearning I had to do from being in such a white world for so long and caring so much what my white girlfriends thought of me. And in university, finding that sisterhood, we were unlearning those things together. Mm. And it was it's really powerful. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And and now, Chelsea, my good sis incognito, okay? Mm-hmm. I, I'm going to be real with you because I will say that when we were in undergrad, we side-eyed the Black girls and men, the guys, who pledged white fraternities or sororities. We were mm-hmm. like, oh... Y'all know that girl? Y'all know that black girl that's in the white sorority? You know, we were very like, "Mm, they're not trying to be around, you know? Mm -hmm. But I want to talk to you about that experience. Like, how was that from your black student, your black student peers? Were you shunned? Were they questioning you? Were they like, you got to do what you got to do, sis? Like, how did folks react to that? Uh, Not well, not well. (laughs) Um, (laughs) 
And I, and I will say, I, I caught those side eyes and I gave them right back. But I think for me, it was actually a mix of those things, right? Because it, it was hard. I had white friends. I had black friends. And Kathleen, very similarly, it was like water in a desert of like, oh my God, someone else is here. But also on the other side of that, there was this isolation of feeling like you have to pick a side, right? Mm-hmm. You're either black or you're not on campus. Yeah. It's so interesting, Chelsea, because I relate to all of that so much, but in hindsight, I'm like, I understand the distrust Mm -hmm. because as much as like I had my little sisterhood, I wasn't a part of the black student union. And I think that in hindsight, because I wanted to go to an HBCU, I wanted to go to university and then immerse myself in that. But if you were to ask me back then, I would have been like, we don't have a black student union. I was just Mm -hmm. these like blinders on and I wasn't seeking that out. And so I know that there were other black girls on campus who didn't trust me, who were like, oh, that's that like white girl from the suburbs, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's real. That's real. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing is black blackness is not monolithic. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and if that's a hard concept for us to understand in college. Like, I do think that I understand the complications of being black today way more than I did in college. In college, it was very black and white. I want to talk about what sisterhood now looks like for us as adults coming out of this college framework and how that then carried out into adulthood. One thing that I shared with you guys is being a member of a Black sorority really reinforced my identity as a Black woman. I was very much like there was something about being a member of an organization that had incredible women like Kamala Harris that really reinforced my identity as a Black woman. And it it reinforced what I wanted to do with my career. It is very much where my career aspirations were born. I was dating a non-Black man from, from high school into college. And I remember the moment, it was shortly after I crossed, I remember the moment where I realized that I couldn't be with him anymore because I was coming into this identity as a black Mm. woman that I felt he didn't understand. Mm. And at that moment, I knew I needed to marry a black man. I knew that I wanted to be with a black man. Shout out to my very black husband who went to Hampton University, who was a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated, who is a phenomenal human being. But at that moment, I knew that that's who I needed. That's what I wanted in my life. Kathleen, you have had the opposite experience in that you feel like your Black sisterhood has almost given you the ability to be in interracial relationships. So I want to talk about how how sisterhood has kind of carried into adulthood and enforced, reinforced some of our our adult relationships and our adult interactions. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's probably the reason I'm still in one. Not Mm -hmm. that I would like, choose to, I mean, I've been with my dude for nine years. If I had, if I had to go back through my relationship and the moments when anyone in an, in, in an interracial relationship, especially with a white person will tell you that there are moments where they don't understand things, where you can't lean on them for certain things. And so I don't know if I would have gone through that and stayed if I didn't have my girlfriends. And so when we talk about sisterhood and friendship, I do think, you know, we look a lot to like high school and college or university as like the formative times, the times where you really lean on your sisters, where for me, it was that for sure in in university, but in adulthood, 
I lean on my sisters as in my girlfriends so much and I maybe put too much on them in that I, yeah, I think I am able to still be in a relationship and continue about to marry a white dude because I have them for all those, those other things. If there is something bothering me this past summer, <laughs> I leaned on my girlfriends. Mm. I leaned on y'all. Like I was able to have those, those outlets and that sisterhood that sustained me. And I think a lot of people might think, well, that should come from your man. That should come from your partner. And he does a lot of other things. He supports me in a lot of other ways, but there are certain things that he does not understand. And I get that from the, the sisterhood I've created with mm. my girlfriends. Mm. Mm. The other thing I want to talk about in adulthood, which, you know, is sometimes rooted in these experiences of experiences that we've all talked about having in college is, you know, the clickiness or the exclusivity that comes with these groups of people, right? I certainly understand that one of the one of the ugly sides or often misunderstood sides or parts of Greek life that turn people off is this idea of exclusivity. Like, I don't need to be part of that group. I don't need, like, I don't need y'all giving me any type of social capital, right? Like, I don't, you're, this is not going to be the indicator of who I am as an individual. And I get that. I 100% get that. I, I know that there are a lot of people out there who become, like, their organization becomes their identity, I'm not that person. So, you know, like my organization is supplementary to who I am, but I, I see that there are a lot of people who are like, you know, shout out to the cues, but all y'all who got grown ass men who got like go. license plates and sh- like, you know, be, I'd, be in the, I'd be in the Atlanta airport. The cues be head to toe, still wearing your gold boots. Y'all put those in the closet. Like quit playing. You are grown. Put on a suit. <laughs> I love wow. I love the bras. I love the bras. Shout out to the cues. Chelsea, I want to talk to you about this, especially in your own, you know, collegiate experience of being in a white sorority and feeling like you weren't sort of the quote unquote right type of black girl. And we talked a little bit about this experience also carrying over into adulthood. The fact that yeah. sometimes sisterhoods can look like exclusivity, whether that's in a sorority framework or just in a life framework. Yeah. And, and I think it, it's funny because we were talking about this earlier, but, and, and just thinking about this conversation, I'm going to go out of here and say, Danielle, if we met in college, I don't know that we would be friends. Girl, I don't know either. <laughs> You're right. You're right. And I think like that but is, many, but how many people do you know like that who like are your people who you're like, dang, if we met at another point in life, I don't know if we would have vibed. Exactly. And I think like that's that's what, what we're talking about here. Like the difference, the things that you learn or unlearn, like you said, Kathleen, in college versus now as an adult and understanding, you know, like we said, Danielle, like you vibe with people who have your values. And I think mm-hmm. that that's what we do now. Whereas in college, I think, you know, we were all trying to find ourselves and feel a little bit insecure. And even after college, right? You know, child, your mm-hmm. 20s are... Tough, tough, tough. Yeah, I keep saying this, but the unlearning and then looking back at our younger selves and being like, we were we were trying to perform different things. Like Chelsea, we have the same experience of like, you know, in the ways that we talk or whatever, being our blackness being questioned. Mm -hmm. And 
and, you know, we're about to talk to Mara Brock Akil about representation. And even in the blackness, we were the images we were sold right. and we were told that has informed that informed how I walked through the world when I was mm. 19, 20, mm-hmm. 21, for sure. And so now and as an adult to be able to look back and to have these conversations and be like with other black women, which is why, yeah, this podcast is just a gift and a blessing. And I will cry if I talk too much about it. So I was, was going to say, we cannot end the You Fight You chapter <laughs> meeting without, uh, yeah. without but, talking about, yeah. you know, the very genuine sisterhood that we have created here in this space, in this podcast, in this unbothered community. We have been through a lot over the last couple of months. This has been a very difficult year and there's not necessarily any end in sight. Mm -hmm. I certainly can look to both of you for this very vulnerable, unfiltered, both of you have gotten a very hefty dose of the unfiltered Danielle Cadet. And and as a person who, again, is a chameleon and wears many masks and many faces in many different situations, I have been able to come into this space with the two of you maskless. And that is a huge feat for me as a Black woman. I've been able to survive with you all without having to do any of that. And that is a gift that I will never be able to repay either of you for. And I thank you deeply for that. The sisterhood that we've created here is next level. And um, I hope that that has been communicated through the airwaves uh, to our larger community and that we have been able to to create a sisterhood for our listeners as well. I'm sorry, I got to cut myself off before I for real like <laughs> start to like. <laughs> Danielle, you always do it. Last season it was Tracy. This season it's us. Like we're we're over here. Like really, try, that's why we're not saying anything, guys. We can just cry. <laughs> we have reached our favorite segment of the podcast: the "Don't at Me" section which is meant to tie a bow on our discussion and to come to our conclusion. And it is not for you to, it it is not here for you to challenge, to challenge. It is here to stay. We said what we said as our dear auntie Nene Leakes says. Black sisterhood to me is synonymous with sustenance. I would not exist without it. There would be no me without the sisterhood that exists within Black women. And whether that looks like your sorority sisters who you have had your deepest, darkest moments with, who you have come into yourself with and built a business with, whether that be your friends who have held your hands through the toughest of times and cheered you on during the greatest of celebrations, there is nothing like having a Black woman in your corner. And whether you are a member of a 
sorority and its technicality or not, just know that you are a lifetime member of the sorority that is Black sisterhood. And the ability to be vulnerable with other women who you know not only look like you, but feel like you and share your experiences, share your pain, share your trauma. There is a humanity that comes with that, that you can get nowhere else. I thank every Black woman for giving me the sustenance of sisterhood and for getting me through the days. Sincerely, your big sister, ask some hoes about me, don't at me. Season three of the Go Off Sis podcast was made possible by Target, our home for style this HBCU homecoming season. Whether you're an HBCU student, fan, auntie, or alum, Target is here to elevate your creativity and hype your personal style this fall. As we continue to celebrate our sisterhood and the joy of our legacy building reunions, Target gives us the power to showcase our individuality and embrace our communities with pride right on time. Whether we're on the yard or gathering virtually this fall, we are still going to be serving looks. Head over to Target.com or the Target app to check out all their style options and take your celebrations to the next level. We are beyond excited for our guests today. There are really no words for, for how much we are all fangirling to have the one, the only, Mara Brock-Akeel with us today. Mara is the iconic showrunner, screenwriter, and television producer behind some of our favorite sitcoms to ever do it. She is also a proud graduate of my alma mater, Northwestern University, and an even prouder member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Mara, welcome, welcome, welcome to the Go Off Sis podcast. Thank you, ladies, so much. I'm such an honor to be here and talk sisterhood with you. Oh, my goodness. This is great. We cannot wait to get into it. You know, for I think for all of us, we could say just like growing up, seeing your name as the EP, seeing the characters, everyone from all of the girlfriends. Um, hello, Joan and Tony, which we will get into later. You've presented so many incredible, dynamic Black women, um, and you've done so much behind the scenes. So truly, like I said, iconic is not an understatement. Was this something you always saw yourself doing? Can you kind of talk to us about, you know, what sort of set you on this path? Hmm. Wow. Thank you. And I think just as you were talking, what resonated, what came up for me was... I think I'm iconic because I answered the call in my heart. Mm-hmm. I answered my mission. I think if you watch my programming, I have, you know, I have shared a bit about my traumatic, my being molested. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about that, and I gave it to Nuri to say that, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't change a thing about it. 
And that's a hard thing to say, having come from that sort of trauma. But what the gift of it in a beautiful way is that I was able to sit still in that trauma. And in that trauma, my relationship with God really began. So I was able to put that in the blender of who I am. And I was able to transform that that pain, so to speak, into, no, let me be clear, that pain into a different type of voice. And that voice was a writer that started out as a journal. I journaled all the time. In fact, I wish I had it because I'm not at home right now, but I, I found my Hello Kitty diary that I have oh. referenced before in other interviews. And um, it's funny, sometimes I'm not very comfortable in interviews. And so I have to learn how to do that. But I'm really strong in my writing. Some people paint, some people make music, some people, you know, the crochet, some people volunteer. You have a voice, we do. And we have to figure out how to answer the call of who we are and then use that energy to express it. And so that is really the, I think if I'm going to own icon, because I want to own that too. <laughs> if I want to uh-huh. own trauma, I'm going to own icon. <laughs> I have been able to, to answer the call and work hard to get there. And mm. I, have, I have worked hard. Oh yes, you did. Oh my gosh, I'm like I'm. We gotta strap in for it. I'm already hot. <laughs> this episode is about is about sisterhood. It's about black sisterhood and the different ways we find our community, whether that be through your friends and your sorority, going to an HBCU, etc. You went to Northwestern. Go Cats! Shout out, Cats! Love, love, love! Shout out to my sorority. Delta Sigma Theta. Hello. Exactly. Okay. My first question is, do you remember your line name? Crystal. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So we, we came up with our acronym, but you won't ever get it. Oh yeah. Right. I know, oh, I know how that goes. I know how that goes. People, people, people don't play with their line names now. Well, there's, a, there's, a, there's a light side and a shadow side to line names. Mm. And, you know, I talked a little bit about, you know, my experience um, as an AKA at Northwestern. Shout out to the Gamma Chi chapter. Can you talk about what that was like for you, you know, being in, being a member of a sisterhood, you know, in undergrad, but also coming into your own as, as a writer at Northwestern? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I inadvertently found more of myself in that experience, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, I am a legacy. So I was doing what I believed I should do. I should be a Delta because my grandmother's a Delta and she's amazing. My aunt is a Delta and she's amazing. And my cousin, Adrian, she's a Delta. And so it was something that I felt like I had to do. But if I'm being honest, I don't think I ever really asked myself the question, is that what I wanted to do? Mm-hmm. And what was beautiful though, about just doing what I thought was the thing to do or what I'm supposed to do. It's funny. I love these women and that they challenge me. These again, amazing, strong. It's funny. Cause I think we enter in as strong black women, got our stuff together. What happens in that moment is the vulnerability and the mm. shedding of the ego self, because you get stripped down to yes not feeling so badass, you know, black women making it to Northwestern. We have lots of chips on our shoulders. Right. <laughs> what did you say? Nothing. Right? <laughs> That's what I thought. That's what I thought. 
But then, you know, you're around all these other amazing black women and then the ones who are actually are pledging you and things like that, you know, you start to learn. Of course, we learn about the history of our sorority, which is still inspiring. But in some ways, you can it can be challenging in that. How do I become that magnificent? You know what I'm saying? How do I beat that? You know, how do you right. work that? It's like, uh, you, it's kind of hard, but you put yourself in that position, but it sheds you. And the shedding is what I'm trying to get to. Sharing really deep stuff into the light, fun stuff and the celebratory stuff and the and a place to land and just be is one of the most hmm. powerful sources that I think that we intrinsically know, but when we really understand what it can do for us, it's the floor. It's the floor for us that your feet can touch the floor, that sometimes your body can lay on the floor. You know what I'm saying? And and you can be held and you know that there's an ability to get back up. Sometimes when I look back, I was like, I was doing all that and going to Northwestern and doing I mean like, it's the ability like, I was right. doing all that. Like, right. <laughs> learning even those 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 skills that can move us into our workplaces as well to be dynamic and and effective. Um, also, when our community building or our community giving back, or mm-hmm. or knowing when you see a problem, you notice like a lot of deltas and AKAs <laughs> 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 and black women in general because there's there's a collective sisterhood. Right. We see a problem, we n- analyze it, we. S- one, we acknowledge it. Like, I'll see it. Do you see it? Mm. <laughs> but, right. You know, I think that's what black women do. It's like, are we not going to talk about this elephant in the room? Like, right. we got to go do something. And then there's an organizational structure to go get things mm. done. And I think because you do know each other so well, then you kind of know, you know, Chelsea's good at this. Danielle's good at this. Kathleen's mm-hmm. good at this. Mara's good at this. And you, and sometimes you don't have to point it out all the time because that right. person knows what they're good at. Right. And it's something intrinsic about Black women where we just sort of step in. Mm. So much of that like resonated with me. And we were all we we're all talking about how we all have very different experiences with respect to sororities and to undergrad, but I don't care who you are, what, whether you're a member of an organization or not, I think everything you just said resonates so much with all of us, just as Black women, like you said. I think that we we know how to show up and acknowledge a situation. We know how to fix a situation. We know how to figure out who's good at what and who needs to be assigned, you know, and what we need to do to fix the problem. And kind of along those lines, we are on the cusp, hopefully, of a Black woman being in the White House. You know, a Black woman who is a graduate of an HBCU, a Black woman who is a member of a Black Greek letter organization. What does... That she, is does, he, she's she's a she's an AKA yes she is an AKA yes. I thought you were real political about that. Okay, <laughs> Shout out to Skiwi to our Sarahs out there. Sure, okay. like, you you yes, <laughs> your butt you know, but, but even you know, just I do think there's a you know there's a general excellence. Okay, but, wait, pause, pause. Can you imagine that Skiwi? Oh, that we might be able if we just open our doors, we'll hear it around the world. <laughs> Skiwi is resonating from the White House, okay? But, you know, there is certainly something about seeing, and no matter where, how you connect, right? It's like whether you connect as a Black woman, whether you connect as an HBCU grad, whether you connect as a member of a Black Greek letter organization, there's something really significant about this moment. And, and can you, you know, talk to us a little bit about what does, what does this moment mean to you, the potential of, of this really historic accomplishment? I think... And 
Camel is a part of this, but I think I want to talk about the collective of Black women. Is that, and she is clearly a part of it, and now and already a leader. She's already a leader. She's already one in so many ways. So let can we just I'm gonna put a pin. I'm gonna put her over to the side. But what you say it resonates is Black women who have led the charge of our political our political fight for so many years. In a lot of ways, it's not saying anything new. Right. It's just about time that one of us steps into and steps into the arena. So the the amount of support, the resonance that Black women demanding it. I mean, it, it's not just Kamala. I mean, it's from the school administration to, yeah. you know what I'm saying, to the local offices to yeah. all the way up that women are are taking hold. I mean, look at the mothers. I mean, this is, I'm, I'm talking about getting emotional. I am sometimes just in such awe. I mean, look at Sabrina Fulton. I mean, one minute, talk about trans. Yes. Again, this one, okay, I'm, I'm stuttering, but let me, because I'm excited. In her stillness of pain and suffering of the loss of her child, yes. she answered the call to say, get involved. Yes. Get involved, mm-hmm. make change. So Kamala is a product of what we've been demanding and getting and, and being clearer about. But to Kamala, you know what I think was beautiful? She's, she's been in a fight. She's been mm-hmm. fighting for this. She's been planning for this. She has been preparing for this. Her resiliency, her ability to the power also to acknowledge some of the things she knows that she wants to that she wants to address and work on. But more importantly, reminding us who she's been and what she's going to do when she's there. And um, and I love a woman who can rock a suit and chucks. So I was right. right. You know, and and it's funny, you know, just a little bit of girlfriends in that. I, I that was one of the things I had a lot of fun about. One, Tracy Ellis Ross is just, a, she is a fashion icon in and of herself. She brought that part of herself to the role of Joan. Mm-hmm. It was making Joan stylish in this very mm. corporate law firm and pushing the edge. Yes, yes. That, I love that. Let's talk about the characters in the credits. Yes. <laughs> so far, every time you've mentioned Joan, I like almost burst into tears because that <laughs> character <laughs> means so much to me. You found a way to portray... And you spoke of like the strong black woman that that's always the default, but the characters that you've given us, which is why they have been so important to, I can just speak for myself is because they're, they're vulnerable. They Mm -hmm. are strong. Sometimes they're messy. Sometimes they are Mm -hmm. all of the things that we are. Mm -hmm. And for so long, we weren't seeing that on TV, except for in the characters that you gave us. So thank you. And I want you to talk about creating those characters and what what is important for you to portray when it comes to black women on screen our humanity i think you know i wanted those characters allow for us to put the cloak of strong black woman on the hook and uh, like if that's a cloak literally hang that up and then really see me see me i think we, we want that in our own homes and so television allows for that opportunity when you're escaping from the day you know what i'm saying to see that and resonate you know resonate that within you know yourself and and hopefully it does i think that's what art is supposed to do i know it's very commercialized art you know what i'm saying but it is art that's supposed to trigger and, and remind you of your own humanity your own reflection and i wanted black women to be seen as human. 
And I want black women to also be seen as beautiful. I wanted them to be seen. Of course, I think, I think we got, I'm always going to remind you how smart we are and how, you know, multifaceted we are and how strong we are and resilient we are. But I wanted to really sort of point a light to the vulnerability. And I think we know how to, we know how to put it together, put the hair and the makeup together and the style, but the inside, you know, are we taking care of that inner child, so to speak? Are we, are we, are we healing any of those wounds that we have gotten along the way? Have we slowed down? Have we cried? Have we been understood? Again, I even mentioned earlier that sometimes we're, we're so busy people pleasing a lot. Sometimes we're people pleasing our mothers and our grandmothers, you know, because they were so iconic in our eyes, you know what I'm saying? And in and, and, and our real life. And we want to beat that. And we, we want to take all their dreams and make them but we do owe it to ourselves and to them to look at that and say, are they really my dreams, you know, and sort of release everybody from these, you know, Erica Badu has a song, Bag Lady. <laughs> Bag <laughs> Lady. You're going to miss your butt, right? <laughs> and you going to miss, oh my God, the wisdom in that song. I mean, are we doing that? Are we carrying everybody's hopes and dreams did we remember to carry our own? Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to show as much as that. And I also want to talk about our real health crisis. I think because we are invisible a lot, we are invisible and not to each other though, which is interesting. Um, I think that's the power of the sisterhood. Thank God for it. And yes, our men do see us, but as a collective, sometimes we are still getting unseen even by our men because mm-hmm. we put their needs often before mm-hmm. our and I think by having these discussions, hopefully they can see it and then they can look, hey, babe, you know, I think, again, I, I love music and like a J. Cole, um, full clothes. What is that? Full yeah, clothes yeah, yeah. for you. Yeah, oh, I want to full clothes for you. Yeah. I was like, yes! <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just, I wanted to show that. I wanted to, sh- mm. I wanted to show our full humanity. And, and that's the long answer. The short answer is, you know, we can get hung up in a hashtag. We can get even black girl magic, which I love. I also want to be careful with every sort of moniker that we sort of take on because magic is hard work. <laughs> you know, people might just think, oh, black woman got to do is show up. No, it's hard work and hard work means equal pay. Yeah. I mean, we're walking tall because of a lot of the work that you've put out and that ground that you built for us. And, you know, you talked about black girl magic and that the like kind of unrealistic uh, measures that that puts on us. And I think that one of the things that I love about your work is, is how grounded and real it is, especially in the way that you get us in our feelings and the ways that you portray the way the black sisterhood falls apart, that sometimes it's not all magical and roses and unicorns and great, you know, and we were just talking about how, you know, we feel guilty sometimes if that like sisterhood with another black woman doesn't work out. And you portrayed that a lot with Joan and Tony. You know, I, I say that, Joan and Tony walked so Issa and Molly could run. Yes. Say that word. Say that word. You can watch the episodes right now. Okay. Oh, so yeah, remind exactly. yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so to that, I want you to talk about portraying those relationships in ways that feel authentic. And then also, because I think with the, the pressure and all those things that come with Black Girl Magic is a fear 
to portray that in a, in a, in a light that maybe is going to be perceived as negative. Yeah. Well, let me speak to, let, let me speak to have a theory and I'm just, you know, it's interesting when you get an opportunity to write for black characters, there is a huge demand from the black audience, especially to tell those positive stories. Mm-hmm. We want positive images. And I want to say for the record, I don't believe in positive images. Mm. I believe in human images because mm. I think it's just as damaging to be put in a box of perfection that is impossible. Just as I don't believe we are as evil as we have been portrayed, you know what I'm saying, in the other images, right? And that's one point. The second point is if I have to run up behind a false narrative, meaning a negative image or continual negative portrayal by trying to make it positive to counterbalance it with a positive image, it also sort of says that I somehow believe some, I, I'm giving credit or merit to that negative image. No. And, and then thirdly, mm-hmm. as an artist, it puts me way behind the wheel because I'm trying to clean up your mess while you go on and create new narratives and new ways. And, and I'm only cleaning up mess versus just creating. So that's one thing I want to say. So, so that's my belief. But to answer your question, what I was more interested in saying is not so much that do black women fall out? We know they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we know they do. Do we want to, you know, people like don't air our dirty laundry, you know, kind of on, you know, television. You couldn't do it in your household. So let alone, you're not going to do it for television. Right. So, but yes, I think by sharing that that can happen and does happen. It's the one step in the, in the idea of telling a human story. If you think about from that moment until the middle of second season, it created and opened up the show and allowed us to have a, actually a lot of comedy. Wait, wait, let me tell you, this is a funny part because UPN at the time, they were coming up with these marketing gimmicks and this is when all these rappers and they, there's still a lot of Lil's. I can't believe there's as many Lil rappers as there are in the world, but they were like, can we do a little night? And we were like, what? And so <laughs> one show was having little somebody on and little. And so we were, I didn't want to participate. And I was like, what are we going to do? And I'm not changing my episode to put some <laughs> Lil in here. And so that's how we came up with Lil Jesus. That's because it, <laughs> and it was one of the fun. I laugh about this to this day. But I want to talk about for you, obviously, as a showrunner and as a producer, building these stories, right? And, and working with networks. You talked about this sort of next generation of creators and doing it by themselves. But, you know, 20 years ago, you were doing this by yourself before everyone was talking about it. So was that sort of an uphill battle? How how did you navigate that machine that is Hollywood as a Black woman and as a a Black creator trying to bring Blackness to screen? I do want to bring up an issue of legacy. We don't do it by ourselves. Mm-hmm. There are times when you feel like you're, you may be one of very few or the only at that time. But I want to be clear for me is that I belong to a legacy of great. My, my mentor is Ralph Farquhar. And I also met Sarah and Vita, Sarah Finney Johnson, Vita Spears, who created um, Moesha. Mm-hmm. And he was the showrunner. And, and I, that's my crew. And they taught me. It feels special because sometimes you are the one or the one of two. And I did break ground and maybe I pioneered some things when I had the platform in my hands, but I do want to make mention of that legacy. I think it's important for us to claim it and own it because 
It is a part of who we are. And it's an understanding that there is, there is a link chain. You come from somewhere and you owe something to the future. And that is the part that I think is important. And so with that, and being fortified in both my work family and my family family, I'm very proud of of me teaching people how to make the sausage. I mean, so one of the things that's going to help solve a lot of our issues is a understanding that we are human and we deserve the right for the pursuit of happiness and some shelter and ability to work and and raise our family with dignity Mm -hmm. and respect. So job creation is very important to me. When I look sometimes what fuels me, even on the days where I'm like, I don't know if I got it or this is over, you know, here's a fun fact. Girlfriends, I was very happy ending the show with Joan getting engaged. I, it's clearly, you know, a show gets long in the tooth and at some point it's got to end, you know, but when the CW was, they wanted to launch the CW and, and they wanted that next season of Girlfriends to help launch the network. I remember telling them, I said, well, I need a guarantee that I can end the story because I'm okay with ending it knowing that Joan got engaged. You know what I'm saying? I sort of wrapped a lot of things up. And so, no, you know, promise, promise. Then we know what happened, the strike, and then the show got canceled. But one of the things that also made me say yes was the number of jobs, the number of kids that get to go to college or school, private school, or houses being bought or cars. Or I, I remember one particular story, one of the uh, grips on our, he, he would always come up to me and he was like, Mara, his daughter had a rare illness took them a long time to figure out what it was, but they did. And because he stayed employed, his daughter is healthy. Those things matter to me. Just when we talk about representation, we talk a lot about in front of the camera. And what you're talking about is creating opportunities behind the camera, from the grips to the showrunners. And that's why we get so excited when we hear the news that you have an overall deal with Netflix. Yes! Hey! Hey! In the rooms and the Zooms. All of them. (laughs) So, I mean, we're just so excited for you. Congratulations, first of all. And we're so excited for the content. So, what can you tell us about it? Like, the genres, the topics that you're interested in exploring and and what you're going to do with this. I just got it. I'm cooking in the kitchen. I am. I have been fed by what is happening right in front of us. I always carry a basket of stories. I call them, you know, I have like little embryos of stories all the time. I can turn a corner and that'll make a good story. That'll make a good story. But part of the success is matching up the alignment with Netflix is they want me for what I do. That's number one. They want me to be exactly who I am. And who I am is I am a self-generating story person who creates great stories with grounded characters and relatability and long life. And so, um, and portraits of, you know, my new company, Story 27 Productions, it's, the mission statement basically is 27 is a universal number of humanity. And simply put, I want to tell the stories of humanity and I want to dedicate it to the marginalized and centering them in the story and their humanity. So that in and of itself, I can be here many lifetimes and not even fulfill that. But I am going to set that up and I'm going to continue to do that. But I'm excited about Netflix because they match my capacity. And by capacity, I mean the breadth. I'm very ambitious about what I've wanted to say and what I wanted to do. And this is the first company that I think who can match my appetite for storytelling and what I wanted and has the resources and the draw 
to I can have a new generation of the future, the, my ability to spot talent, develop talent for them, and so that we can keep it going forward is both exciting to me. I want to also be inspired by those writers and creators, as well as teach them how, teach them what I know, and also create an opportunity that I can build something. And it was interesting when you said the jobs behind the scenes, just a fun fact, there was times when early on when the game moved to Atlanta, we had to shoot it. When we moved to BT, we had to shoot it and reset up in, in Atlanta. All the sets that were there once before, all the assets to the show were destroyed. And what we could afford on BET was not the same thing. When we arrived in Atlanta, Black people got excited because they'd be like, jobs are coming. Mm. And I remember they would say that. We would stay at, the, at this particular hotel and they would be like, oh, the word jobs are coming. And I, would, mm. I remember that's what they would say. People going to work, people get to eat. And I would, I, to this day, I just like, God, there's those moments where you're all about yourself and you're thinking about your story and your needs. And then those, those, those are the moments where you realize, God, how are you using me? And now you mm. look at Atlanta and how it's grown. I mean, and I mean, we were literally teaching people on the job. You know what I'm saying? So c- careers were created because we were willing to do the work. And so sometimes we don't know how God is using us. We don't know. But in those moments, I do encourage all of us that we need to listen for what the calling is. Mara, I, <laughs> thank you so much. I mean, I think we, uh, we're always so, uh, this conversation has just been really soul-filling for all of us, truly. I can speak for all of us just by saying that we, we were already so excited to have this conversation and to be on the other end of it, I'm like, I just feel like I've been through a transformative experience. So thank you for your time. Thank you for your creative energy. Thank you for what you've given to us, certainly as Black women. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. The Go Off Sis podcast is a Refinery29 original. It is produced by Chelsea Sanders, Rashad Isaac, and myself, Danielle Cadet. It's edited by Hanger Studios. My co-hosts today were Chelsea Sanders and Kathleen Newman-Bremang. Like what you heard and want some more? Head over to Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts to catch up on all episodes. And don't forget to drop a review or leave a comment to let us know what you think. You can also find us where it all started, on Instagram at r29unbothered. Thanks for listening. And don't forget, it's okay to go off, sis. Sis.